getting the information out and really reaching out to the folks way down in the pipeline early that sure, you, you want to do things in STEM, but you should also be thinking about careers in the law, not just among persons of color. There's not a lot of folks that are going to have that background. And so not only do you become a valuable resource, but you just become an example for others to follow. Hello, I'm Yumika Anderson Howard, DNI Manager at Dwayne Morris. On our Dwayne Morris DNI 360 with Joe West episode today, Joe talks with former PTAB judge and Dwayne Morris IP partner, Monte Squire, about diversity in the intellectual property space. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Joe West, partner Dwayne Morris. Uh, I had the privilege of serving as the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the firm as well. And joining me is one of the newest additions to the firm. Uh, he's new to the firm, but he's not new to me. Longtime friend of mine, somebody I've admired for many, many years, Monte Squire. Monte, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for, uh, for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your background uh, and about uh, your practice. Uh, you joined the firm, has it been six months now? A little bit more than six months. So I came on board um, in June of uh, 2021. So the middle of uh, June, I think June 15th, a little bit more than six months and uh, kind of rolling, you know, kind of hit the ground rolling. Rolling indeed. You came to us uh, from the bench, right? A PTAB judge. Tell us a little bit about that. Explain to people, first of all, those who, uh, like myself, uh, do not speak Klingon, who are not <laughs> in the IP world. <laughs> that's right, that's uh, right. No, that, um, no that's what that is and what it means. Sure, so uh, back in uh, 2011 or so, um, President Obama, they, um, as part of the American Events Act, they created this um, court out of the, uh, or tribunal out of the, the Patent and Trademark Office called the PTAB. And it stands for Patent Trial and Appeal Board. And what it did is it, it uh, essentially became a board um, of judges um, that just handle expedited patent IPR, patent review type matters. And so um, most of the judges on that board are judges that were obviously longtime lawyers in the intellectual property space, but also folks with technical, um, a technical background, a deep technical background in some area of expertise. And most had also um, served as law clerks um, at the district court or at uh, some federal level. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be one of the uh, judges that uh, got nominated to serve on that court, um, or serve on that uh, on the board. And um, what we did is we, we, we handled what they call IPR, so inter-parties review, ex parte appeals, so appeals of decisions uh, on patentability out of the patent office. Um, and it was just, um, just a tremendous experience um, dealing with a lot of the cutting edge um, litigation issues, the cutting edge patentable inventions, um, and really working with a good group of other judges to, to kind of resolve and, uh, and keep, uh, keep the cases moving. So you talked about the need for a technical background to serve on that. Tell us about that background, a little bit about your background, both the technical side of it and then uh, the career trajectory that took you to the point where you were appointed to that bench. Sure, Joe. So I tend to start off this way. I kind of think of myself, I've been a nerd for a long time. <laughs> so, 
so um i you know i've i've always been um you know stem you know you hear stem a lot uh, these days but i was um you know kind of interested and involved in stem before stem was an acronym um and so i um you know through high school always interested in, in science and technology and, and happened to be really good at math um was fortunate enough to um, go to university of delaware and study um, chemical engineering um, and uh, kind of really honed my engineering skills um, and what I did is um, I actually worked as an engineer for uh, more than 10 years before I started practicing law and um, got involved, uh, worked at a big, um, uh, wonderful companies, um, uh, joint ventures between BASF and Shell, a company called Basel, um, and the former company, which was a, a joint venture between Mon Edison and, and Hercules, a company called Highmont. And I worked there and I was a show enough you know, kind of in your trenches engineer. And I got involved in the technology transfer, which is all legal issues, wind up going to law school at Delaware Law School in the evening, and uh, kind of fell in love with the practice of law and being in the courtroom. And the rest, I guess, is history, wind up going to, to practice at a law firm uh, for, for many years, and then um, ultimately getting appointed to the bench. And then now, um, as fate would have it, coming, coming home, so to speak, to, to Dwayne Mars. Well, let me ask you this. I, I, I'm very curious about that part of your transition, uh, since you were a shown up engineer. Uh, at what point did you decide that the law might be an option for you? And, and the reason I ask that is because, as you know, uh, you know, people of color, particularly African-Americans who have the engineering, science, technology background and are lawyers are very much in demand. Uh, and I'm curious about the trajectory and that sort of what was the aha moment for you? Was it always, hey, this is the path I'm going to take? Or was there some precipitating event that made you go, I'm going to be a lawyer, too? No, I think, Joe, that's a great question, because it wasn't an always kind of thing. Um, you know, I was raised, you know, you, you, you got an engineering degree and you went to DuPont or you went to some big chemical company and you kind of finished your career you know, at this big company. And that was kind of my, my original thinking coming out of undergrad. But what happens is once you get into these dynamic companies, you find out that really what's really driving a lot of the, the growth and the next steps of, of where that company is going is the innovation side. It's what products mm -hmm. they're developing, what's coming down the pipeline. And really to protect those, those particular products, you really need a, a legal sense. You know, there are patents at issues, there are other intellectual property rights at issues. And so being on the R&D side, I was a part of this, you know, th this product development. And my aha moment was, shucks, if I could understand or have a better understanding of the law, mm. boy, there's some value, um, both career-wise and if you decide to go out and do something beyond, you know, staying with a specific company, going into private practice, or going to work uh, assist some of these high tech companies, there's some value add to knowing both the technical side for sure. But if you can integrate that technical side with the legal understanding of these intellectual property rights and these patent and understand how that plays in litigation and in the context of the law, boy, there'd be some value there. So I was probably eight to 10 years in my career when that kind of struck me as, boy, there's an opportunity here. And in fact, this is the way I think these big companies are going to really have that dual expertise or need lawyers with that kind of dual expertise. Well, I'm glad the lightning bolt struck you because the value really 
yours to Dwayne Morris now. <laughs> let, 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 let's talk about your time on the bench. Um, what were some of the more memorable experiences you had? Number one, and then the second question I'll ask is this, you know, I spent a, a good part of my career in-house and people would always ask about the expectations that clients have of their outside counsel. So the second part of my question gets to what is it that you would expect of litigants who appeared before you? What were some of the good, the bad, the ugly, some of the things that people who might be listening right now who are in that space need to jot down and say, do that, don't do this. No, that's, again, that's a, that's a great, great point. Great points to be made there, Joe. I'll tell you my experience, what I remember the most about, and I enjoyed, um, I was, was fortunate to be on the bench for, for six years. And I enjoyed every moment, um, really, all the cases, um, and there were a lot of cases. If you go back, <laughs> uh, it's unlike, not unlike other courts where there's, there's a heavy docket of cases. So we, we were a busy, a, a busy, a busy organization, a busy board. But I'll tell you what I enjoyed the most, um, which I had an expectation about, but really didn't appreciate till I got, you know, really in the trenches at at the board was just how uh, collegial and how most of our cases at the, at the board were three judge panels. So you had three judges, no jury. And so the judges kind of had to work together closely coming up with these decisions and that kind of thing. And I really, I was really impressed by and really enjoyed working with the other judges, super smart folks, um, but diligent, really working to try to get the best solutions in the cases. So no, you know, it was, it was really just a, an environment where, you know, we were getting to kind of the heart of the matter in the cases, you know, kind of what, what's that issue here? It wasn't a whole lot of, of extra activity. And they were, you know, always just great to work with my experience there. So that's the most memorable part. And what I enjoy probably the most, um, in addition to just the fact that we were dealing with new inventions all the time. So being the nerd that I mentioned earlier, I like the technology, you know, kind of <laughs> seeing what's coming down the pike. And that was always um, interesting to me. Um, had some really fascinating cases of stuff. I guess maybe I could share some at some point, but a lot of really interesting inventions um, uh, is what, you know, kind of kind of sticks with me the most. The, the, the diligence of the judges and working with them to come, you know, working hard to come up with the right decisions in the cases and really just a uniqueness and kind of just sheer interesting um, aspects of the inventions that we were able or the patentful um, issues that we were able to address together you know, before these things necessarily hit, you know, kind of hit, uh, hit the mainstream was always, was always interesting and fascinating to me. And you talk about my experiences. So it's definitely a good, as far as the trials that we had at the, at the, at the PTAB, it's definitely a good, bad and ugly. Um, I'll tell you what the good, the good cases or the good litigators or the good um, uh, parties would do. They, um, you know, it was, you know, there was written papers that were submitted, but when they came to the oral hearing, they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily kind of um, stuck with what they had already written. What they did is that the really good um, presentations, the really good oral hearings um, focused on issues that the court or that the board was most interested in, asked questions, hey, what do you want to hear? And didn't necessarily stick to a strict script that was already pre, you know, pre-prepared pre um, right. you know, coming in. They were very flexible to answer the questions. And the other thing that I tell you, which is a value add 
is if they didn't know an answer to a question, the really good ones would tell you, hey, we don't necessarily know the answer, but here's the best answer that we have yeah. right now, or here's where we think that 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 issue is going. It, it really, the, you know, the, the, the other judges on, on the board really appreciate, I appreciated that kind of candor. And it really kind of, um, you know, you answer the questions as best you can, but if you don't know the answer, that's that's okay too um, for times and, 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 and the board um, appreciated that. What I would say is the ugly, or, or, or I wouldn't say ugly, I would just say not so well received, um, is coming to at least to practice before the PTAB and really thinking it's the same as going before a jury or another court, a standard kind of you know district court kind of setting. It's not that setting. You got three judges that you're dealing with. You should be talking to all three and you should be going right to the heart of the matter, right to the technical issues. It's not going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance. All the, you know, you think of it, you know, they're judges and they're technical judges at that. So the better presentations were those that really went right to the, the technical issues and focused on what kind of what was the point. It wasn't a whole lot of um, bluster or a whole lot of um, theatrics, so to speak. Not that it, there's always that case in other courts or other tribunals, but in this particular tribunal, for sure, it was really about the issues. So let me talk about, let's talk about this space uh, from a macro standpoint. Uh, and I'll talk about it. Uh, I'll ask two questions that on their face aren't connected, but perhaps there is some connective thread there. Uh, one, what do you see as uh, the most fundamental change or changes that you've seen over the last five, maybe 10 years in this space? Uh, and crystal ball, what do you see as this is something that clients, litigants, uh, law firms, lawyers who are in this space should be looking for? That's the first question. Second question is, um, I alluded to this earlier, just kind of the paucity of uh, people of color, particularly African-Americans in this space. What do you think has to change? What do you think has to happen in order to see uh, more progress in that space? So I think to, to your first question, Joe, um, which is a poignant one, um, kind of what's happened and where is all this going? I think companies, a lot of the growth and development of, of now our clients or the, the kind of clients, all these companies are realizing that there's a technical aspect to their business. There is an innovation. If you're in any kind of consumer business or even B2B type businesses, and even if you're a bank or, or, or others that historically haven't thought of themselves as being technical giants or technical um, companies, with respect to FinTech and all these different connections, there is a technical aspect to your business. If it means running a portal, if it means doing other kinds of electronic transactions, if it means developing cars or different components associated across almost every business, right? With e-commerce and the like, there's a technical facet that's critical, right? That's gonna be critical to at least where your business is going. And what I've seen over the last five years is companies are realizing that they need to have a deep understanding either in-house or and or addition, their outside counsel needs to have some kind of expertise or some kind of foothold in this technical space. They need advisors 
and counselors and folks that really can help guide them um, and support them in their technical endeavors and in the litigation or the counseling matters or the patentability issues that come up, the infringement or non-infringement issues, all these technical related things that will impact a bit their business. What I've seen is companies have gotten more savvy and the, the really um, innovative companies, the companies that are thriving today are companies that are really grabbing hold to that understanding and making this technical understanding, this legal intersection between their technology and their business, making that a priority and making sure they have the right counsel, the right in-house and the right outside counsel that can really understand and, and, and really you know, inform and assist the company in growing in that area. So I think there's been an emphasis on, on that understanding, I think, and acknowledging that, hey, this is gonna be a field that we're gonna either play in, either we're gonna be getting sued, not getting sued, or find ourselves somewhere trying to protect our intellectual property rights. And we need to have that expertise, either in-house and or outside counsel. That reminds me, I had a conversation. Mark Rowling, who was the general counsel at Mass Mutual, he came and spoke at a, at a firm event a few years ago. And afterwards, he told me he was transitioning from the general counsel role to the chief information and technology officer. And I said, Mark, that's interesting. He said, Joe, every company is a technology company. That's right. <laughs> Which I thought I was interesting. Right. You literally said the same thing. The oh, that's so good. And, and the thing is, the, I think the, the companies, you know, the, the companies that are really going to do well or continue to do well are those that recognize that and invest and are prepared for you know, kind of really involved in, in that kind of, over, you know, that, that kind of interplay, you know, you, there's a technology aspect to every company. And indeed, like you said, every company is essentially a technology company these days. And so that's what I've seen that over those years. And as far as diversity, just, you know, kind of getting um, folks like me <laughs> that come from, you know, first generation college folks um, um, really getting onto this. I think Part of what we're doing now is really um, getting the information out and really reaching out to the folks way down in the pipeline early that, um, sure, you, you want to do things in STEM um, and, and, and that kind of thing, but you should also be thinking about careers in the law and using that STEM background to leverage into other careers, um, in, in particular careers that deal with, with the legal side. because. There's really, even not just among persons of color, there's really a lack of, you know, there's not a lot of folks that are going to have that background. And so not only do you become, um, you, know, a, a re, you know, a valuable resource to these companies that we just talked about or to these law firms that, that support the companies, but you just become, you know, uh, an example for others to kind of fo to follow. So it's really about, I think, getting the message starting early in the pipeline. I think, if, if I was an undergrad and somebody was talking, or if I was in high school and they were saying, hey, um, there's a lot of ways to, 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 to kind of leverage your interest in tech, you know, technology, and one of those is law school, or one of those is becoming a lawyer and advising and working with these companies, I would have maybe sooner, <laughs> you know, a lot younger in my, <laughs> in my time decided to make that transition, you know, or, or at least explored that. I think you know, oftentimes you, you get out and you're like, hey, what am I going to do next? But it's the kind of thing that the earlier we can get the information to uh, to folks of, uh, you know, diverse folks for sure, the better off they'll be. And I think programs like this, um, 
really getting out to some of the you know national bar association you've got some mcca activities a lot of different organizations that are you know been doing this stuff for a long time kind of trying to get the word out really kind of linking them up with 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 the up and coming aspiring lawyers i think is the key so getting the message out and encouraging and really doing the, the due diligence to try to find and attract these candidates yeah uh, getting them much earlier in the uh, educational lifespan uh, is helpful. That's a good segue to the last question I wanna ask you. Uh, we're almost out of time. Um, how in the world was Dwayne Morris fortunate enough to attract you to come our way? Uh, we, we, we are so thrilled to have you. I know since we're friends, we talk all the time. You had many right. other options. <laughs> <laughs> but you uh you graced us with your presence and we're we're forever grateful for that uh, to, to come our way no 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 it's um look so so i always every time i um at least initially when i would talk to to, to folks they say hey you're leaving the bench <laughs> you know you're going back to um to you know <laughs> you're a smart man you're going back to uh private practice and i and i tell them i say look this is um uh just what what the way Morris offered, uh, and, and you you're a big part of that, Joe, for sure. Um, but I think just as a firm, there just a real legitimate and sincere focus on firm culture, um, real and not just talk, right? I think the big, you know, sure you hear a lot of you know a lot of presentations and a lot of other firms talk a lot of this. So, you know, they talk a lot about um, firm culture. They talk a lot about diversity and inclusion and and, um, and, and, and all those kinds of things. But to me, um, it, the firm has not just talked about it, but really put kind of your money, you know, and your effort behind what you say. And I think what I found out and what, what was clear to me talking to the firm chairman during the, you know, the, the process, I mean, this is the, you know, the chairman of the firm talking um, and, and really pointing to evidence and support about these things. Um, it just blew me out, you know, kind of just, it, it was different, um, unique in, in that sense, and it was sincere. And I, I tend to be a good, at least I think of myself as being a, a good judge of uh, sincerity and when, you know, and maybe most folks, I know when something, somebody's pulling my leg or, or telling me something I might want to hear, but it was none of that. It was really a sincere commitment to um, um, diverse lawyers for sure, but all lawyers. Um, it was really... Um, that part. But for me, I can tell you the fact that we have a, a vibrant diversity and equity and inclusion program, that we're doing stuff like this, and that we have other, you know, just just internally, just a support mechanism for um, attorneys of color to really just do well within the firm. I mean, that's unmatched. And again, you'll hear a lot of talk about it in the industry. And I'll hear, you know, you'll hear other firms talk about it. But for me, it was just knowing that that is a real thing. And, and I can tell you in the six plus months or seven months I've been here, um, it has been realized that that is indeed what my experience has been. And I, um, you know, I just say it's just been, it's just been tremendous. Um, and I just look forward to, you know, to, to, to being able to kind of um, pay it forward. So um, be in position to assist and, and contribute to what's already, um, what's already going forward. Well, that's a drop the mic moment if ever I've heard one. Uh, Monte, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you so much. And thanks for joining us.
All right. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it, sir. Take care.